0: Good morning friends. Good to see you all here this morning. Might get a little wet this morning, but you might get a little saved this morning. If you have a Bible with you, open up to Matthew chapter 28. If you see someone around you that doesn't have a Bible and you have one, let them read along with you, would you? Matthew chapter 28. What we're going to do right now is we're going to look at the historical account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice that I said the historical account. I say that because you ought to know this fact. There have been over 25,000 archaeological discoveries that have verified the persons, places, events, and customs mentioned in the Bible. Over 25,000 archaeological discoveries. In addition to that, I say historical account because we have in our possession over 24,000 ancient manuscripts of the New Testament. And they testify to this fact that the Bible that you have before you today or the Bible that you will hear me read from today is the very same Bible that was authored by the Holy Spirit some 2,000 years ago. We have evidence that this is the actual Word of God. And I tell you those things that it might generate in you a degree of authentic excitement as we come to the account. That this is what really happened. What we're viewing here is history, not some vain philosophy, not some religious ideology. It's not a fable, it's not a myth. It's the truth about Jesus Christ. I like what Einstein said when asked about Jesus. Someone said, Einstein, what do you think about Jesus? He said, quote, I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. And then the person replied, the inquirer, somewhat surprised and said, you accept the historical existence of Jesus? And Einstein said, I quote, unquestionably, No one can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such life. Feel the presence, people. So we're going to begin reading this historical account in Matthew 28, verse 1. It says, now after the Sabbath, that would have been Sunday, As it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. I like that picture. He didn't just roll away the stone, he sat on the stone. It's like a picture of victory, you know what I mean. It's like Jesus, you know. He didn't just calm the waves, he walked on the water that day, absolutely victorious. Verse three says about the angel, And his appearance was like lightning, and his garments as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, "Don't be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here." for He is risen. Just as He said, come see the place where He was laying. And we know from one of the other Gospel accounts, the Gospel of Luke, that the angel also said, why do you seek the living among the dead? Verse 7, the angel says, and go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead. And behold, He is going before you into Galilee. There you will see Him. Behold, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. Verse 9. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. I want you to notice two things about this historical account. Number one, Jesus met these women that day. Many of you are going to meet Jesus Christ today for the first time. The second thing that I want you to notice is that they took hold of His feet and they worshiped Him. You see, this was no pseudo-resurrection. This was no being recovered from fainting on the cross. This was no vain impersonation. They had known Jesus for several years. They had seen Him die upon the cross. There was no mistaking that He was dead upon the cross. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah that He was marred beyond recognition. We're told that He was scourged, which means that with a cat of nine tails, nine strips of leather with little bits of bone and metal woven into it, He was lashed by professional Roman soldiers from the back of His neck to the back of His knees. Would have removed all the skin from His back, would have exposed His bones and His internal organs. He was then hung upon the cross. The Romans didn't invent crucifixion, but they perfected it as a means of torture and execution. And just to make sure that Jesus was dead upon the cross, that Roman soldier, a professional executioner, shoved a spear into his side and out came blood and water, indicating the water, that the pericardium, the sack around the heart, had filled with liquid. And indeed, Jesus Christ was dead. There's no mistaking it, he died on the cross just as the scriptures said he would. And when they saw him on this third day, this Sunday... Something must have been so profound, so different that it made them fall on their feet, grab his feet, and worship him. He was risen. He wasn't just resuscitated. He wasn't merely revived. He was resurrected. And Jesus Christ does the same thing with the lives of men and women today. You may have come here and there's all sorts of drama in your life. You may have come here and your marriage is a mess. Your relationship with your kids, you don't know what to do about it. It seems like it's out of control. You don't know how to father them anymore. You don't know how to mother them more. Your finances, they've slipped away, and you can't seem to get a grasp on it. For some of you, it seems like your own sanity, you're starting to lose it, and your life is coming apart at the edges, and you're saying, I somehow need to be revived. I need to be resuscitated. I need to be fixed. Well, let me tell you, Jesus don't fix people. He resurrects people. When you meet Jesus Christ, the old things pass away and all things become brand new. Make no mistake about it. According to the historical account that we have before us that is verified, Jesus was risen that day. And when the women saw them, they worshiped him and they worshiped him partly for this fact that Jesus had just pulled off somebody that nobody, something that nobody else in history had ever done. You see, nobody else in history had ever done these three things. Nobody else in the history of the world, no other religious figure had ever offered to die for their followers. You see, all the other religious figures, they wanted their followers to die for them. What do people do? They die in the cause of Islam. Hey, listen. Jesus Christ said, I will come and I will die for you. Nobody else in the history of the world ever offered to die on your behalf to pay the price for your sins. Next thing that Jesus Christ did was he fulfilled his word on that. He died on that cross, but not before he predicted his own resurrection. And on the third day, he did something no one else in the history of the world has ever before, ever since done. He rose from the dead just as he said he would. Think about it for just a minute. Nobody has ever offered to die in your place, nor has anybody ever predicted and pulled off their own resurrection from the dead except for Jesus Christ. What He had just done was unprecedented. It was unheard of. It was marvelous. And so the women fell at His feet and they worshipped Him. And they also worshipped Him for this reason. Because the Bible declares Jesus to be God in the flesh and the Savior of the world. Jesus declared Himself to be that. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through Me. Notice that Jesus Christ claims absolute exclusivity. He didn't say that there are many ways. He said that there was one way, and that it was Him. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father through me. And you say, Jesus, that's so radical. How how can you be so exclusive? Well, He gave validity to His words when He rose from the dead. Amen. Amen. Nobody else in the history of the world has ever done that. Therefore, the words of Jesus beyond any other religious figure have validity today. The Bible declares and he declared himself to be the Savior of the world. But I want to ask each one of you, every individual, is he your Savior? I mean, if you really come to him and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. I've blown it. I've sinned. But I realize that you're a loving Savior. I realize that you didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. And being that I'm a sinner, and you're a Savior, Jesus, how about if you save me? I repent of my sins, and I ask that you forgive me and save me. I'm asking every individual here, is Jesus your Savior? If not, and he's not for everybody here. If not, then who is? Who is your savior? And let me ask you about that savior. Did he offer to die for you? Did he offer to pay a price for you that you could never pay yourself? That is the price in the debt of your sins. Let me ask you about your savior. What are his credentials in heaven? What's the hookup in heaven? I mean, when you get there and you drop his name, does that get you in the door? The Bible says there's only one name under heaven by which men can be saved. And that is the name of Jesus Christ. What did your Savior do to validate His claims? Surely He made some claims. If He's your Savior, if you're following after Him, if you're entrusting your eternal future to Him, He must have made some claims. What did He do to validate them? I'm telling you today in love that Jesus Christ validated His claims by His resurrection from the dead. And I'm telling you that the resurrection is believable. It's believable, it's historical, and it's evidential. Have you ever yourself examined the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because here's what's going on today, people. I'll just be very upfront with you. I'm going to invite you to make a decision today. It's a decision either for Jesus Christ or against Jesus Christ. You say, hey man, don't put me in those camps. I want to be in the middle. I want to be like Switzerland, just neutral, in the middle. (laughs) Jesus says there is no spiritual Switzerland. Jesus said, you are either for me or you are against me. You either recognize him as your savior or you reject him. And a non-decision is a decision against according to his own words. And so I'm going to invite you guys in just a few moments now to make a decision for or against Jesus Christ. And and, and much of, of that decision hinges on what you believe about the resurrection from the dead. Because if he rose from the dead, then he is who he claimed to be. There's no question about it. If he didn't rise from the dead, then who is he? Who knows? Who cares? He said he would rise from the dead and he didn't, so don't pay attention to his words. But have you yourself ever examined the evidence? If you've never examined the evidence, then don't reject the resurrection of Jesus Christ today. It's too potent an issue, it's too important. It has to do with our eternity. And so if you're going to reject Jesus Christ today, you've got to have some real good reasons why. You've got to be better reasons than a TV show or some philosophy you dreamed up. I mean, you got to have some real solid evidence. You know, some of the greatest minds in the modern history of our world have examined the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and come to believe it. One such man in history lived just over 100 years ago it was Dr. Simon Greenleaf. And he was the famous royal professor of law at Harvard University. He succeeded a man named Justice Joseph Story as the Dane professor of law at Harvard. And the rise of Harvard Law School to prominence in America uh, is owed to these two men. Greenleaf produced his famous three-volume work called The Treatise on the Law of Evidence, which to this day is considered one of the greatest single authorities on the subject in the entire literature of legal procedure. This man, this great mind, this head of Harvard Law School, Simon Greenleaf, examined the value of the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus to ascertain the truth. And what he did was he applied the principles contained in his three-volume treatise on evidence. And Mr. Simon Greenleaf came to the conclusion that according to the laws of legal evidence used in courts of law, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for just about any other event in ancient history. Have you done your homework? This man did his, and he was convinced. Jesus Christ truly rose from the dead. If you're going to reject that, you can't reject it it on the basis of evidence. I'll tell you why people reject that. They reject that because they don't want Jesus to be who he said he was. Because if he is who he claimed to be, then we're accountable for our actions. And we wish we weren't, huh? We wish we could just live in spiritual anarchy. Just anything goes. But that's not the reality of life. You see, there's a creator. And there are absolutes in this world, contrary to popular culture and its beliefs. There are absolutes in this world. And that means that there is an absolute lawgiver. And that means that you and I, creation, are accountable to him. And I got news for you. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the creator of all things. And as the creator of all things, he has absolute authority. And here's what Jesus said. No man takes my life from me. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to pick it up again. And in his wisdom, in his love, in his authority, Jesus Christ saw fit to come seeking after you and I. You see, the Bible declares that God desires that none would perish, but all would experience everlasting life. But I've got bad news. I'm a sinner. Hey, man, I'm a sinner. If you knew some of the things that I've done in my past, you wouldn't be here today listening to me, I guarantee you. If you knew some of the thoughts and attitudes that I currently have and hold and experience at times, you wouldn't listen to me today. I have bad news for you. I'm a sinner. I have worse news. So are you. (laughs) And if I knew your deep, dirty little secrets, I wouldn't want to hang out with you either. You see, the Bible declares that we're all in that boat, that we are all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. And the problem with sin is that it separates man from God. And that's not the will of God. God created you and I to have a meaningful love relationship with Him. A meaningful love relationship with Him. But then sin entered the equation. And sin brought a separation between us and our Creator. And what Jesus Christ does is bridge the gap between fallen man and a holy God. The way that He does that is by removing the sin issue. The way that He does that is by paying the price for my sin and your sin. And once the debt is paid in full, it is finished. It is done. The Bible declares our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west, buried in the deepest sea. And that problem, the sin issue, is removed. And so we can be connected to God. The only problem is our sinful hearts and our sinful attitudes and the things that we do. Listen, sin is evident in our world. All the evils that we see going on in our world, those were birthed in the sinful heart of man. The world likes to blame God for those things. Why does God do thus and so and the other? Hey, I got news. That's not God. That's Man. That's fallen man, and those are the wicked deeds of man. And you say this to me. You say, well, if God is really so good like you're claiming, then why doesn't He stop the evil? Why does He allow the evil and the suffering? I've got two things to say to that. Number one, if God was going to rid the world of all evil and everything that causes suffering, there you go. Have you ever caused anybody to suffer? Have you ever caused anybody grief? Have you ever committed an evil in your life? Hey, the Bible says it's a sin to lie. So if you're lying right now, you're guilty. (laughs) The other thing I'll say about that is this. People say, why does God allow evil? Well, in truth, he doesn't. You see, the hammer just hasn't dropped yet. He doesn't allow evil. There's a judgment that is coming. The New Testament says it is appointed for man to die once and then comes the judgment. You see, in the end, nobody is getting away with anything. People think they're getting away with stuff for sure. Why? Because God does not at this time deal out immediate retribution. And so people think they're getting away with things because God does not immediately slap them. We wish He would for other people, huh? When other people sin, oh God, get them. And when we sin, oh, Lord, have mercy. (laughs) But because God does not deal out immediate retribution, people think that they're getting away with something. But let me tell you what is really happening. The Bible says this. Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. People think that they're getting away with something when in reality, they're storing up wrath for themselves. And there is a horrible truth that's clear in the Bible and it's this. That God is a very meticulous bookkeeper. He's a very meticulous bookkeeper, and he doesn't fudge the books. There's that fear, isn't there, in every one of us, that somewhere all those things that we did and do are being recorded, and they are. Oh And I, you see, God is just, and so here's what he won't do. He won't fudge on the books. He won't cheat on the books. I mean you ought to be glad about that because there's you know there's certain people where yeah you really want them to be held accountable. It's just not you don't want to be that certain person. But there's other people that yes God you you got to make sure you judge them and write it all down, Lord, and don't don't forget about that and get it all. Just not for you. But for other people we, we, that you see he's not going to fudge on the books. He's not going to turn a blind eye. Listen. The God of the universe is not a fat grandpa that turns a blind eye to sin. Oh, kids. (laughs) That's not who God is. At the end, he's not going to sweep it under the rug and he's not going to laugh about it. He's a holy God and we've sinned against him. And there is a judgment as sure as there is death and taxes. There is a judgment that is coming. There's one name that you drop at the judgment that gets you off scot-free. There is no name under heaven by which men can be saved other than the name Jesus Christ, the Bible says. You see, what Jesus Christ did upon the cross was He paid that price, that record that was kept in heaven. The Bible says that it was nailed to the cross for you and I when Jesus was nailed to the cross. And that when you accept Him as your Lord and Savior, He takes it out of the way. He does away with it. He declares it to be paid in full. You had a big fat bill in heaven and Jesus Christ bled upon the cross and declared it to be paid in full. But what you've got to do is you've got to enter into that. You've got to lay hold of that. You've got to come and say, Jesus, apply that to my life. That credit that you won upon the cross, that death that you died, that blood that you spilled, I want that applied to my life. I want your life credited to my account. The Bible declares that the moment we come to Jesus Christ, we are washed white as snow. Yeah. Made brand new. Old things pass away. All things become brand new, the Bible says. It doesn't mean that you never sin again. Anybody know a Christian that sins? It doesn't mean that you never sin again. It does mean that he will always forgive you. Why? He's a God of love. He's a righteous judge. He won't cheat. He won't turn a blind eye. But he's a God that that prefers mercy to judgment. He prefers mercy to judgment. And when you call upon Him today and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, according to what Jesus Christ did upon the cross, God, have mercy on me. God will so gladly have mercy on you today. He will so gladly forgive you according to what Jesus Christ did upon the cross. But there's no other way that He'll forgive you. There's only one way. You say, oh, that doesn't seem fair. There ought to be a lot of ways. Wait a minute. My sin did not obligate God to do anything about it. God didn't have to make any way. He could have left you and I and all of humanity in our sin and our guilt and we would have spent eternity in a place called hell. It's not a good place. Don't want to go there. But because He's a God of love, He made a way. And He draped Himself in humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. You've heard of John 3.16, for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe would never perish but have everlasting life. But have you heard of John 3.17? Jesus did not come to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. God loves you so much, he provided a way. Don't discount that a way because you want there to be many ways. That's not reality, man. Jesus Christ is the only one in history who proved that he is the way. Take it. How merciful and how wonderful of the God who formed you in your mother's womb. You know he formed you in your mother's womb. The color of your eyes, God chose those. The color of your hair, your little nose, God pinched that little nose into place, the Bible declares. He formed you in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. At this moment, He knows how many hairs are upon your head and for some of you, He's doing subtraction. He knows. (laughs) He knows. And He loves you. He loves you so much, I feel like a fool trying to describe it. There's no words for it. But He loves you with a perfect love. He loves you as a perfect Father and His plan for your life is that you would know Him now and that you would spend eternity In heaven, it's a good place. You want to go there. It's a place of blessing. And so now comes that moment of decision where you decide what you will do with Jesus Christ. And in a moment, I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to give you an opportunity to come forward to make a stand for Jesus Christ. Hey, he made a stand for you on the cross when he bled. So I'm calling you to make a stand for him today. It's your decision. Nobody can make it for you. I simply want you to know that God loves you incredibly, that He made you. And He wants you to spend eternity in heaven. And it hinges upon the person of Jesus Christ, His death, His payment for our sins, and His resurrection from the dead. And what you're saying, if you're deciding for Jesus, is this Jesus, I believe that you're the Savior of the world and that I'm a sinner. When I get up out of my seat and I come forward, it means I'm repenting of my sins and I want you to forgive me and give me eternal life. That's what that means. What it means when you decide against Jesus is this. Hey, Jesus, I've heard and I've seen the evidence of what you did. But I want to stand on that judgment day on my own accord. I'll answer for myself. I'll wait for justice. Let me tell you, friends, when you stand before the judge, the last thing that you're going to want is justice. You're going to want mercy. And mercy is extended through the person of Jesus Christ. Nobody move. I'm going to pray. This is a holy moment. I'm going to pray for your decision. And right after that, you make it. And if you make a decision for Jesus to be forgiven of your sins, you'll come forward at that time. Lord, I thank you for each one here. I thank you for your incredible love for them. Lord, you love them more than words could ever express. It can only be expressed through what you did on the cross. God, it was perfect. It was so good and so kind and so generous and so merciful. And Lord, we know we're sinners. We can't kid ourselves. We put on all sorts of facades, but we know we are. And we know we need a savior. And so I ask Jesus... That now by your spirit, you draw every man, woman, and child to yourself. That they would say, I want it, Lord. I want your forgiveness. If that's you, as the music plays, you go ahead and you get up and you come forward to Jesus Christ. you mm-hmm. Some of you, you met Jesus already. You may have met Him years ago. But you know you're not living for Him. You know you're not. And you know He loves you. You know He's got a plan for your life. And it's this way. And you've been going that way. And you know that today He's saying, Come back to me, son. Come back to me, daughter. I love you. Come back to me. If that's you,
1: we're going to wait for you. You come. Oh, she comes to the fountain. Lift your heart, lift your heart in the stream. Yeah. Let your sin and your sorrow, let it be washed away. In ways of his mercy. His arms are open, open wide His calling will come
0: today someone lead you in a prayer you've already really said it in your heart when you came forward we'll just seal the deal you just agree in your heart that this is what you're doing Lord we're sinners Jesus you're a savior no you're the savior Jesus, save me. Save me, Lord. Forgive me of my sins. I want your love. I want to know you. I want that relationship. I want to be cleansed, Lord. You know where I've been. You know what I have done. Wash me white as snow, Lord. And I want the promise of heaven. I want it. I want to be there, Lord. Lord. Jesus, I pray that right now, by your Spirit, you would just cleanse these people. That your Spirit would come upon them, that you'd wash away, Lord. All the heartache, Lord. That you, Jesus Christ, would bind up the brokenhearted in our midst. Lord, that you would set the captives free. There's some here today, and they're just captive to sin, and they want to be free. Jesus set them free today. Set them free, Lord. Pray that you'd fill them with your spirit, that you'd be so near that there would be no mistaking. The Lord loves me and I love him now. There'd be no mistaking the reality of this relationship. And Lord, for your precious ones who have come home, the prodigals, oh Lord, put the robe of righteousness on them. Put the ring of ownership back on their finger, Lord and put the sandals of freedom on their feet. Thank you, Lord, for saving. We love you, Jesus.
1: Amen.